0: Hey, Welcome again, to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon we Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, 11, California, and we'd love to tonight, have you visit us for a service if ahead. you're in the L.A. area. Romans visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and find out Once service again, times. If you have any questions, Hebrews shoot us 11, an email at Romans below at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy Romans today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We have our normal services this Sunday, 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30. We are not having a New Year's Eve service at 7 o'clock um, this year. So just to remind you, 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30, and we're not doing a New Year's Eve service this year. So uh, I know you triple, quadruple dippers. You'll show up at the doors, um, and they will not be open. In fact, you won't be able to get through the gate. Um, so I just wanted to let you know uh, how thankful I am. You guys love church, and I love that you love church. <laughs> Um, and I love you. And I love that you love church. And I'm having a real Merry Christmasy, Happy New Year kind of moment right now. A little sentimental. Um, but uh, I'm just so thankful for all of you and what God is doing in this place. Um, the 1230 service, they stayed with the mariachi band until like 2.30. And the mariachi band kept playing. They're like... They were saying, otro, 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 and they did another, they did another, they did another. It was just so awesome. All right, Hebrews 11, Romans 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm always amazed, Jesus, that you choose to use people like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah, like Abraham, like us. Normal human beings that just hear your word are empowered by your spirit and are known as people of faith. Lord, I just pray that as we study Abraham tonight, the father of faith, I pray, Lord, that you are glorified through his life and that we will be more like him to glorify you as well. I'm really looking forward to meeting Abraham. I'm looking forward to see the man that really and truly sacrificed his life because you asked him to. it's In Jesus' name we pray. Aren't you looking forward to meeting some of these people? I just hope there, you know how like in high school there's cool people and not so cool people? I just hope there's not like cool people, like you can only be cool to hang out with Peter in heaven, you know? Uh, But I don't know if Peter was cool, so I'm, I'm sure that maybe, I hope there is. I'm sure there is no coolness in heaven. I need to backtrack. I should probably pray again. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) There are two principles that the Spirit is purposing to get across about what we need in this life. He uses 17 testimonies of normal people like you and me to prove these two principles. The first one is this. We have need of endurance. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36, you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, and that will of God may include suffering, it may include trial, you may receive the promise. You have need of endurance. That's the Spirit telling us that. Secondly, Hebrews chapter 10, if you look again at verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. You have need of endurance, and you've got need of faith so that you don't give up, so that you don't quit. This scripture, the just shall live by faith, is reiterated three times in the New Testament. The first of which is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul says... For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. To illustrate this point, just like the writer of Hebrews, Paul as well will use the character of Abraham and his faith, that it was accounted to him as righteousness because he believed God, and that he proved his faith, With his works of faith. In fact, turn with me, leaving Hebrews. Keep your finger there. Leaving Hebrews. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. You'll see this so clearly. Once again, Abraham, our father of faith. Romans chapter 4. I'll pick it up in verse 18. Who, speaking of Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed... So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So God told him that he would be. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith. Giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that What he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. God told him that out of him, many nations would arise. And he trusted God's word no matter what his circumstance was. And he took action on God's word. He simply believed by faith. His simple faith saved him. But his works proved what he believed. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he would say, using Abraham again, in James chapter 2, verse 21, you'll see it on the screen, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. In other words, his works proved his faith. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. What the word is saying is, he was known to be in relationship, a close relationship with God. And Abraham? Abraham's life becomes an example for all of us. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Paul calls him the father of us all, the father of all who believe, that if we choose to believe, just like Abraham, then we will also put our belief into action, just like Abraham. Go back with me to Hebrews now. Let's take a look at Abraham's life. It's Hebrews chapter 11 and see what principles we can gain from Hebrews, from Abraham's life. Hebrews chapter uh, 11, now verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out, maybe you'll underline this, not knowing where he was going. If you're taking note, maybe you'll write this down. Abraham trusted God's word over his own understanding. Abraham trusted God's word over his own understanding. He went out not knowing, he had no clue where he was going. Romans chapter 4, remember what the Bible says, contrary to hope, in hope believed. I don't know if you know this about Andre and I, but. When we were 24, 25 years old, we headed off to Liberia, West Africa. And God had convicted me not to raise support to go out on the mission field. I didn't know how to tell my wife. We had a three-month-old child that we were taking with us into the middle of a war-torn country, and I was afraid to tell my wife. And one day we were sitting down at dinner, and I looked at Andre. We were only a year married, and I said, Andre, I need to tell you something. I really believe that God has called us Liberian." Liberia. And she goes, yes, I know. And then I said, I believe he's called us Liberian. I believe we're just supposed to go and not tell anybody and just ask God to just pro- provide of all our needs. She started to cry, and I go, I blew it. She said, Chet, the Lord convicted me of the same thing. And that day we made a commitment that as long as there was money, we would stay in Liberia, West Africa. When we got to Liberia, after the the first month we were there, we literally landed with $7, I think 80 cents in our bank account. The second day we were there, someone supported us for a month. When that money ran out, someone supported us for another month. When that money ran out, someone supported us for another month. In the third month, we wanted to go home, we wanted to quit. In the fourth month, someone provided. In the fifth month, someone else provided. In the sixth month, we were begging God. Stop the money. What missionary prays, stop the money. We want to go home. And we realized that God had trapped us. And we were there for three and a half years. And when the money ran out, we came home. Because God wanted us there for three and a half years and he knew how to keep us there. So we were moving out here to California. I was going to have a job at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I flew out here and I checked out the schools and I was offered a job and I went back home to Calvary, Fort Lauderdale and I told them, hey, after 28 years, I believe the Lord is calling me to California. After 28 years, they looked at me and like, what? You're going where? I believe God's called me to California. After I called them, Well, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa called me and said, Well, I can't offer you a job anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I've already told Calvary Fort Lauderdale that I'm leaving. So I went to my wife and I said to my wife, "Um, Hey, um, uh, I don't have a job in California. But I've told Fort Lauderdale that we're leaving. So they've given me the two weeks and we're leaving. And She looked at me and she said, Twenty-five years ago, we went to Liberia, and we did not raise support. If we don't go to California just because of a job, then our faith has not grown at all. What's the difference between Liberia and the United States of America? So we loaded up the truck and moved out to Beverly. F-150, I had a you-all behind me. My three kids that were coming with us were in the back seat. My son had a broken femur. He was, his, his, his leg was up on the center console of the car, and we were moving out to Beverly. We didn't have a dime. In Texas, almost here, in Texas, we got a phone call. Pastor Chet, we believe in your ministry, and we're going to support you for two years in California. excuse me? This is not how it works. You don't get a phone call in Texas. And my wife at me goes, yes, it's how it works. It's called a miracle. That's what God does. (laughs) You got to love my wife. She's 110 pounds. She's like bitey mouse. She is like a fire of faith. Okay. And we came out here and God provided for us and our staff. It was amazing what God had done. And I was still able to minister at Costa Mesa. I was able to minister at Patmos. I was able to travel around the country and speak at different churches because God said to go. And my wife said, we're going because God said to go. Church, Abraham went out when he didn't even know what was going on. Now, Abraham did not live in the why. He lived in the who that spoke to him. God told him to go, even though he had no understanding. Think if Abraham lived in the Y. Think of him moment he lived in the uh, Why didn't you just send me somewhere I knew? Uh, why did you wait 25 years for me to experience the promise of Isaac? Um, why did you wait until I was 100 years old and Sarah was, was way past menopause? And why didn't you just bless me with Ishmael? I figured the whole thing out for you, God. And why did you ask me to sacrifice Isaac? Think of the whys that Abraham could have asked. And even though he didn't have the answers to any of his whys, he chose to trust the who who gave him the direction. And he was obedient. Can I tell you, church, we live in a why culture? If I can't explain it, if I can't understand it, I'm not going to do it. We live in a why culture. We live in the science world. We live in the scientific method world where you have to be able to explain it. And we always, I always hear this when things go wrong in people's life Why is this happening to me? It's what the Jews were asking themselves in the book of Hebrews, and it's why God is using Abraham as an example. Because oftentimes, it seems that if we don't know why in our culture, we can't follow. If the boss doesn't tell you why, I can't do it. And if God don't tell me why, then I can't do it. I've got to understand. And oftentimes, it seems that instead of obedience, we offer excuses to God when we can't logically explain it. When it doesn't walk through the scientific method. And instead of trusting God's word, like God telling Moses, go put your foot in the water and watch what I'm going to do. Stick your staff in that water. Well, why? Why would you want me to put my staff in the water? Why do you want me to put my foot in the water? I mean, why would I do that? That water is gold. I don't know if I can go in there and pack. The, I don't even know how to swim. I've been in an Egypt desert my whole life. I can't go over in that water. Why would you want me to do that? I don't understand that. You know why you're laughing? (laughs) Because instead of trusting God's word, we often rely on logic, science, even our own practical experience. It's never been like this for me before. And so when God wants to invade your life with something new, illogical, and doesn't fit the scientific method, we ask why. But Abraham, Abraham trusted God's word over his own understanding. He went out not knowing where he was going. Oh, we love the verse. We put it on a Thomas Kincaid picture. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It's a great verse. It's a hard life. Ask Abraham. It's great on a picture. It's great on your fridge. It's even a great memory verse, but it's a hard life. But maybe if we focused on the who that's leading us over the way I feel because I don't know why, maybe we would walk by faith like Abraham instead of offer our excuses as to why we can't because we don't understand. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, let's take a look at another character of Abraham, verse 9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That's a big deal, dwelling in tents. The heirs with him of the same promise. Stop there for just a moment. You live in a tent. Think of that for just a moment. Just put yourself, Chet, living in a tent. Put yourself there for a minute. Take yourself from your Sealy posturpedic. Take yourself from your own little personal bathroom. Take yourself from your little down comforter and take yourself from your mirror. Okay? Just for a moment, come out of your apartment, come out of your house, and put your name in here. He lived in a tent. Some of you think, well, that's what they lived in. No, it wasn't. It's not what they lived in. I'm going to show you in just a moment. Take a look, if you would, uh, of dwelling in a tent... There we go. Intense with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let me tell you something else about Abraham. This will go against the American dream. And if you are wondering if God is sending you to a foreign country, be careful with this next. When you write this one down, Be careful. Abraham believed God's promise over his own personal comfort. Abraham wanted to walk in God's promises over his own personal comfort. See, I'm an immigrant. And my dad left the Bahamas to give his children a better life. But he knew where he was going. The land of promise. He knew I mean, he knew what he was coming to. This, I mean, back at th- that time, like, the economy was booming, and he wanted a better life, a better school, a better place for his children to grow up. Abraham had no idea. No idea what the land of Canaan was like. But Abraham believed God's promise over his own comfort. You've got to remember where Abraham was called out of. Ur. Ur. Now, maybe that name doesn't thrill you at all. But, If you were living back in Mesopotamia at this time and you said, I live in Ur, that was like saying, I live in L.A. or I live in New York City. It was the city of cities. It was a thriving metropolis with buildings. And we learn in scripture that Terah, Abraham's daddy, was a high priest. Not of God, but he was a priest. He lived in a ziggurat. He was one of those guys. Let me tell you about the, the priest of the time. The priest, everybody came to the priest because everybody was religious and everybody needed a God to help them in some fashion or form. Let me tell you how Abraham grew up. He had means. He had fame. He had fortune. Everybody knew little Abe as he was running through the streets of Ur because his dad was the priest of Ur. Then they moved from Ur. They went to another great city by the name of Haran. And Abraham stayed there till his dad died. He then left for Canaan with Lot and his family and with 318 fighting men. We're told Abraham was loaded Take a look if you would. It's Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. Okay, He was the Jeff Bezos of his day. Okay, We're talking about Elon Musk on steroids. In fact, when Abraham went to go bury Sarah, the people, uh, Heth, the family of Heth, said to Abraham, You are a prince. You're like a god amongst us. Abraham had money but he chose to live in tents. We've got to remember who the believers are who the writer is writing to. He's writing to believers who had their goods plundered, lost their jobs, their families and their lifestyles. He's using Abraham. And the question becomes, are we willing to lose our life, like Abraham, to actually find it? Because Abraham chose tents over towers. He had enough money to build whatever he wanted to build. But he chose a different lifestyle because God had called him to go all through the land and to live in tents. He lost his life, what he could have been, because he wanted to do what God asked him to do. But there's something else I want you to see here. Take a look, if you would, once again, at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He was dwelling in tents, okay? Uh, Verse 9, dwelling in tents, the heirs with him the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations. And maybe if you could write this down, Abraham preferred the eternal over the temporal. He preferred it. He waited for the city that has foundations. In other words, what the writer is doing, he's comparing the tents of Abraham's experience on the earth to the foundations of buildings that are poured in heaven. It's the same illustration that Paul uses when he's speaking in 2 Corinthians. Turn there with me. I want you to see this. Because some of us cherish our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, look what Paul calls it, this tent is destroyed. In other words, we die. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, Eternal in the heavens. It's spiritual. It's God's house. God is spirit. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. This is the exact opposite of the world. They groan to stay alive. They groan to grasp every last breath. But the believer can't wait. They're groan to get to heaven. That's what Paul's saying. If indeed... Having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Like what he's saying is if you love your Gucci, wait till you put on heaven clothes. Now, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Keep that in mind. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. Now, I don't know about you. I love to camp, I love to be out in the woods. I love the sounds of birds in the morning. I now not all of my children share this with me. My son AJ, we were laughing, he was just here for Christmas, and he hates to camp. Hates to camp. Okay? He's like, Dad, you brought me, you adopted me from Africa. I was camping my whole life. <laughs> Why he calls camping rebellion. He goes, God has blessed us with electricity. And cars. Why would we go on a hike and sleep outside? That's his mentality. So one time we went camping and it was 3 a.m. and the dog was in his tent. I hear this at 3 a.m. We're done. We're out. 3 a.m., the whole campsite. We're done. We're out. We're in North Carolina. We are done. Everyone get up now. We are out. Dad, I can't sleep. I woke up and the dog is on my face. We're out. We're all AJ. Go to bed. People are stirring dad, we're done. We're not camping. Everyone pack up. He literally packed up everything and went inside the car. I didn't move until 6 a.m. And all I heard was, I'll never do this again. I will never go camping again. But I love to camp. But not for a lifetime. Camping will get old. Making a fire will get old. I mean, have you ever changed inside of a tent? It's exciting for about two days. <laughs> you can't stand up. You're like trying to pull your pants up. It's like you come out, your shirts, hats tucked in. It's like, you're, it's just not a great experience to live in. What Paul's saying this life is great. You can wear your Gucci, this life is great. But this life is just a reminder that there's a greater life ahead. What are you groaning for? The Gucci or heaven? I don't know. If you're wearing Gucci tonight, I'm really sorry. I'll go to Prada if you want me to. Years ago someone got my wife a Prada, um, uh, what do you call the thing, the purse. <laughs> Difficult word. And she's like, and she didn't use it for like six months. And I said to her, Andrea, why will not you wear this purse? Because you always say things about Prada and I don't want to be the one that's got it hanging from my shoulder. <laughs> so I want to apologize for my wife's sake. But you have to understand what the foundation of the whole tent illustration revolves around? We're just a tent. It's actually hope. Would you look at First Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen? Because here's the reality of this world. That's why it's good to know we're a tent. Second Corinthians four sixteen. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Why? We have endurance and faith, even though our outward man is perishing. Have you smelled you about two days of no bathing? You are rotting. Every day you are rotting more and more. Amen? Amen. Some of you don't like that. Some of you might be rotting a little bit faster than others. I don't know. But we are all headed. Our outward man is perishing. It's just a truth of our faith. It's a truth of life. Yet... The inward man is being renewed day by day. If you had to see my inward man, he's six foot four. He's got a chest like out to here. Like he does 600 on a squat. I mean, my inward man, I just wish you could see him. I know you're just looking at this tent. Four, look at the perspective. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment... If you think your trial has lasted forever, Paul calls it a moment. Because we're in a tent. Is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory? God's doing something wonderful through the trial. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I have a question for you. Where's your focus? Is your focus on your finances? Is your focus on your physicality? Is your focus on fun? Got to have fun all the time. Is your focus on your feelings? Here's a hard one. Is your focus on your family? Or is your focus on your faith? See, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. He'll be true to his word. Everything else will be added unto you. It's true, gang, I'm telling you. Paul wrote young Timothy. said, look, bodily exercise, it has some profit. But godliness has profit for the life to come. And you know how you can discover your focus? You can discover your focus by where you spend your time and where you spend your treasure. That's how you can know what your focus is. And though Abraham had the means to build a city, he chose to build a community of believers. He loved people. Think of it for just a minute. In Genesis 15, God says, uh, uh, 17, sorry, in Genesis 17, God says, hey, Abraham, we're going to confirm the whole covenant. Um, you've got to be circumcised along with every male in your house. Now, we know there were 318 fighting men and Isaac. And Ishmael was about 12 years old. Uh, Excuse me, God? Uh, Yes. You, today, everyone circumcised to be in your family. You be Abraham and go tell the guys this. (laughs) Hey, gang, um, here's the deal. God is going into a covenant with us. (gasps) He is? And God bless you. (laughs) But you have to be... circumcised (laughs) excuse me i mean just imagine how that went over do you know what amazes me they all did it they all did it you know why because abraham poured his treasure not into himself but in taking care of 318 fighting men and their families he poured into people he was a man of faith they did it because they knew that Abraham had a relationship with God and they were willing to do whatever Abraham asked them to do. They followed him. If I went to my family and I said, hey, I've got a relationship with God and I'd like for all of us to be, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, we all have to cut our right pinky off. I mean, my kids would look at me like that. Are you crazy? But Abraham had such an investment of faith into this group of guys they said were in. And let me tell you what else, Abraham. Not only did he build a community of believers, he chose to live below his means to be a blessing to others and do what God told him to do. Do you remember when him and Lot got into the argument? And Lot had just come out of Egypt and he loved the buildings. He was not a fan of the tents. Lot loved life. So he looks over at Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah look a little bit like Egypt. I want this. And Abraham goes, look, you pick what you want, and I will go wherever you don't go. That's a man that loves people. That's a man that loves God. That's a man that's willing to say, I don't want any problem with my family. I just want what God wants for me. And maybe if I stop for a moment and my focus becomes God, then I'll be completely satisfied in him the same way that Abraham was. It's why Paul says, set your mind on things above. We went down to Orange County uh, the day after Christmas. I was surprised at how many people were at the mall. And then I was surprised at myself that I was there. It's the day after Christmas where everyone got a gift. And they weren't exchanging things. They were buying more. Well, it's 50% off. Something about 50% off goes, I need to buy that. I want that. And it's not really 50% off. They mark it up 100%. And then they tell you it's 50% off. It's called the trick of the trade. And they trick us all the time. We walk out feeling good, paying something that's overpriced in Orange County should have bought it on the street here in L.A. But when your focus becomes God, it will change your perspective as to what's actually important. It will direct you where to spend your time and where to spend your treasure. And I guarantee it will be on God and God's people, just like Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, let's take a look at another hero of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, go back with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 11, very connected. We have now our first woman. Here she is, by faith, Sarah. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. Now, if you're a first century world and the writer of Hebrews is giving the credit to a woman, you have to imagine what the first century world re- readers were doing. Women didn't have rights. Jewish women didn't have rights. If your husband died, you better marry someone else in the family so you could keep your land. And here he is using a woman and he's saying, You guys, I want all of you, men and women, to look at Sarah's faith. Do you realize what Christianity has done for women? By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child, and when she was past, the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one man of him as good as dead. Look what the Bible says about Abraham. He was as good as dead. Were born as many as the stars of the sky and in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Let me tell you something about Sarah. Maybe you write it down. Sarah took action when she heard the word, though she thought it was impossible. She still took action. So what I need to do for a moment is make this real. Genesis 18, God shows up to Abraham and lets him and two friends, okay? It's three uh, angels of the Lord, an angel of the Lord and two angels, okay? God shows up to let Abraham know, hey, in nine months, Sarah's going to have a baby. Now, I need to let you know, Abe is 99. He's 99 when he gets this message. And Sarah is just about 10 years behind him. She's like 91. The Bible says, Abraham's body is as good as dead. And what the Bible is saying is, it ain't happening. (laughs) And the Bible says that Sarah had already passed through menopause. She wasn't dropping any more eggs for years. She'd already passed. So when Sarah, who was behind the tent, listening to God tell Abraham, she went, <laughs> that's what she did. She thought it was absolutely hilarious. And God said to her, Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. God said, You, do, you did laugh. God has no problem with clarity. He calls us out no matter what. He goes, Yes, you did. You did laugh. Something had to happen for Sarah to get pregnant because the Holy Spirit didn't come upon Sarah. The Holy Spirit only came upon Mary. So let me tell you what happened that night. God says that I'm going to have a baby. She lit the candles that night. She put a little Yankee candle in the corner of the tent. She picked up something from the store. Abraham comes walking in, and she goes, hey, babe. (laughs) I wonder if Abraham then laughed. Are you serious? Have you ever seen 90-year-olds make out? Sorry to get the visual, but... You guys got to stop and realize what happened that night. Something, and it wasn't a miracle, it was activity. (laughs) Something had to happen for Sarah to get pregnant, and she got serious about it. And in Romans chapter 4, let me put it the way the Bible puts it, so much better than me. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith when he saw that ninety-one-year-old woman with the candle lit giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Woo! Hey. God gave a little unction to his spirit he looked at that 91-year-old woman and went, whoa! Whoa! It's a good thing I didn't translate the Bible. Though Sarah laughed, have you ever laughed at something God told you? Have you ever struggled with something that God told you to do? Though Sarah laughed, she still trusted God and went in that tent that night, and she acted on God's word. She overcame her feelings in order to walk by faith. She knew the situation was impossible, but went ahead with what was necessary because God said that she would be pregnant. You ever been there? Have you ever been at the place where you just don't feel like doing what God has asked you to do? Have you ever been in the place where, amen, I'm glad. Amen. Have you ever been in the place, have you ever been in the place, all right, let me finish now. I appreciate your transparency and your honesty. Have you ever been in the place where you know that you should not do something, and you do it anyway. You see, Sarah didn't act in her feelings. And the Bible says there in verse 12, she received strength. That's important. Because what the Bible is defining for us here is that she was walking by faith. You see, a walk of faith is simply defined like this. God gives us direction, and then he gives us the power to do what he's asked us to do. That's a walk of faith. Sarah was just a normal human being. She was a normal 91-year-old woman who had passed menopause. She was a normal 91-year-old woman who was struggling in faith as to what God had asked her to do. Yet God gave her supernatural power to do what was not in her power to do. And let me tell you why. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? When we draw near to God with the step of obedience, God draws near to us with all of his power from heaven. When we choose to do what God's asked to do, he'll actually give us the power to do it. Now take a look at what the Bible says in verse 13. These, speaking of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. In other words, they had spiritual sight, not physical sight, embraced them, confessed um, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, if they wanted to go back to Ur, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Church, what the Bible now does is further emphasizes for us what the walk of faith looks like. But I need to take a commercial break just for a minute. We need to understand once again who the writer is speaking to. People were turning away from the faith. It was getting hard. Their families had come against them, their traditions were calling them. They were Jewish, the culture was against them. If you think we are living in a difficult culture, try being in a culture where they were killing Christians and putting them in jail. It was getting rough. Jesus made it very clear in this world you will have tribulation. But it's one thing hearing a sermon, it's another thing living it. They knew that Jesus said it was going to be hard. But when it got hard, they wanted to return back to their traditions. Return away and go away from Christ and grab onto angels. We studied it in Hebrews 1, 2, 3, and 4. But Abraham... Even though he didn't see the promise fulfilled, he trusted God that it would be. This is important for us. This is important for us because none of us have seen heaven, but we believe it exists. We believe we've got a homeland. That's why I love going to third world countries. They don't sing about how Jesus can fix you. That's a lot of our songs. They sing about heaven because it's all they have to look forward to. It's a, it's a mat on a dirt floor. There's no, like, portraits on the walls. And all they have is heaven to look forward to. You see, this takes spiritual sight, not physical sight, because none of us have ever seen heaven. It's why Paul told us earlier that we walk by faith in 2 Corinthians, not by sight. And what the writer does is he takes the time to describe to us what this walk of faith entails. Just look at Abraham's life. Take a look if you would. Go back with me again to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off. In other words, they had spiritual sight. Take a look. we assured of them. This word assured, it means they were convicted by it. Abraham had a conviction that what God told him was true, and his life proved it. He lived in tents. Not only was he assured of it, he embraced them. He embraced what God told him. Now, have you ever seen couples come together and embrace? My daughter... um, she just met a man. It's been a couple months. Came over to the house at Christmas. And they held hands in front of me. Dude, you might be six foot three and 225 pounds, but I got heart. <laughs> Touch her again, you'll deal with me. He's really, really, really—he's a—he's a Christian guy, loves the Lord, um, but they were holding hands. <laughs> so hey, can we talk? <laughs> Brought him in the room. This is what I said to him. It's been a couple months. Seems to be producing good fruit, which means this is a good tree. But if it produces bad fruit, Bible says it's a bad tree and cut it down. And I have no problem holding the axe. And I said, can I pray for you? He goes, I'd love for you to pray for me, Mr. Lowe. Dear Jesus, help him. You can ask him word for word what I said to him. He left. He told my daughter, well, he prayed for me. Have you ever seen new love embrace? It's not like. You know, like first graders, when you, you tell your first grade class, everyone hold hands and the boys and the girls are like, Ugh, gross, I got to touch a girl. That's not an embrace. <laughs> an embrace is new love. Dun, 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 You got the visual? And then they grab and they hold and they just cherish the moment. So many of us do this when it comes to God's word. I can't believe I'm going to do it. I can't believe I'm going to do it. (laughs) But Abraham embraced it. He loved it. He cherished it. And every time God said something to him that he didn't like, he embraced it. Not only that, a walk of faith, would you take a look? He was assured of it. He embraced them and he confessed that they were strangers. He's meeting with the people that he's buying the plot of land. The only plot of land he owned was the the grave of Sarah in the promised land. He's meeting with them, and this is what he says to them. He confesses this to the people. Genesis 23, 4, Abraham, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. You know why he said he's a foreigner? Because God told him he was. And he was telling everybody. I'm a foreigner here. (laughs) I'm really a citizen of heaven. I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. I don't be like that. Okay, I am a citizen of heaven. I got a heaven accent. I eat heaven food. Like I take communion. The whole deal. Because I'm a citizen of heaven. I sound like a citizen of heaven. I act like a citizen of heaven. And I confess to the world I'm a citizen of heaven. You can tell the difference between the citizen of heaven and a citizen of the world. And none of us have the Roman Catholic halos around us on a portrait. We just are living normal lives in the world filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and people look and go, Now they're different. When the Jews were coming out of the Judean into the Judean hills to see John the Baptist, do you think when they got there they were going, Now, which one is John the Baptist? I'll tell you something. He had locusts all tangled up in his beard or Honey dripping little Tarzan suit on it. Repent! I don't know if he had a southern accent, but he, he was doing the whole deal. When I come to your workplace, do I have trouble finding you? When I come to your school, do you blend so well that I can't tell the difference between you and an unbeliever? You see, Abraham confessed it to others. you got to understand, these guys were losing their spiritual sight because of hardships and failures. They were looking at the world instead of looking at heaven. And he was encouraging them. And he's encouraging us. Don't go and return to the old way of the world just because it's hard. Keep your eyes on heaven. Sing about heaven. And I say to you, why would you put your mind on the Gucci? You know you're going to want a new purse next week. Why would you put your mind... You know, guys, let me tell you something. We love just bigger toys. That golf club set, those cars, they end up costing lots of money. Our hobbies end up costing us lots of money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if it's your focus, you're losing sight of what's in front of you. Let me tell you what happens to those things. Jesus said it best. Take a look. Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I want you to see heaven's perspective here. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What did I say? You'll know where your focus is, where you spend your time and your treasure. Heaven's perspective is this it's going to be destroyed, gone. It's just temporary. What are you so worried about? Where's your focus? You see, I don't know if you know this. He says heaven's better. And this word better in the book of Hebrews, it means more profitable. You're making a better margin if you invest into heaven. You see, what we wear around our neck, the little gold that we got, heaven goes, we use that for pavement. We use what you sparkle, your little bling bling, we take the bling and we use it as asphalt. Like it'll, gold will be your driveway. He says the, dime, the diamonds that we put on our finger to show everybody we belong to someone, you know what God says? Pfft, we use that for construction material. I, I use diamonds to be the foundation of the new temple. That's just construction. It's like two by fours. What you hold so dear, heaven uses as pavement and construction material. Can you imagine how beautiful heaven is going to be? And are you willing, are you assured of that truth? Does your life prove it? Do you embrace that truth? And are you willing to confess that truth to others? Because the Bible says very clearly, God is not ashamed. For those people that live like that, he's not ashamed to call him their God. In other words, that's the kind of faith that pleases him. He rewards us for it. He's preparing a city for us. Can you imagine what that city looks like? No, you can't. That's the point. Because we see it by faith, not by sight. But I know it's there because God told me it's there waiting for me. And I'm going to live my life to get there not to stay here because I couldn't stay here if I wanted to. We had some, I'll close with this, we had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to the house when I was growing up and they made a mistake knocked on our door. <laughs> My mother loves it. And she invited them inside. I was a young kid, probably about like 12 years old. I warned them. I go, don't come in. You don't know who you're dealing with. She sat down and made him tea. She's got a little British background, made him some tea. And they began to tell her, asked her if she'd like to be one of the 144,000. She said, no. They were shocked. She goes, why would I want to be left here during the seven-year tribulation? I want to be part of the church. So they went back and forth, and I kept looking at them. I told you. So they walked out, and my mom took them out the door, and in Florida, I don't know if you ever heard of a bufo frog. Bufo frogs is exactly what they sound like. They are bufo, like bufo, okay? They are this big. And when, they, when it's raining, they try to go across the road for some reason. They're just dumb. And cars will hit them, and they reek in about three days. They ever smelled rotted, flat frog? It's horrible. So we walked outside, and it's like skunk. And the Jehovah's Witness guys looked at my mom and goes, don't you want to inherit this earth? And my mom goes, do you smell that? She goes, no, you can have it. I'm going to heaven. Why would we invest so much into what's rotting? Abraham lived a life in a tent that we could have lived in a tower. Abraham lived a life of faith. There's nothing wrong with towers. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. But if they become your focus, then you're not following Abraham's example. Father, thank you for the Thursday night crew, because they love you. Thankful, Lord, for their desire to be like Abraham. He's the father of us all. I pray that we would follow his example and follow him as he follows Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for people of faith. Thank you for the people of faith, the Abrahams that are sitting in front of me. Jesus' name. Now, before you leave, I need to let you know something. Abraham was not perfect. Tried to give his wife away twice. I think Abraham was convinced that she was the problem. Try to get rid of her. (laughs) And he didn't seem to have any problem when Sarah said, hey, why don't you sleep with Hagar? Sure. (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) Abraham was not perfect. But God had grace on his life. And grace changed his life. What's going to be your response to grace? Because your lives aren't perfect. I know some of you. And some of you know me. My life's not perfect. And I need grace like you do. How will we respond to grace? Because let me tell you something about Abraham. He didn't start out as the father of faith. He started out as the man that gave his wife to Pharaoh. He became the father of faith. And each one of us in our lifetime have that as an opportunity. We don't start there, but we can end there. And we may have many trials and tribulations along the way. That's why we have need of faith and we have need of endurance. Amen? Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.